So, just to put it out there real quick, I know some of you might be sitting here and realizing, oh shoot, I forgot we're having this conversation tonight. I wish I wouldn't have come. But um, I'm really glad you're here, and I really, really want this conversation to be a conversation that produces freedom and not shame. And so hear me say that that is my heart in this, Um, and I will also be the first to say that I have not done boundaries well in relationships before. I have crossed boundaries. I've gone too far, so I'm not speaking out of a place of I did this perfectly and I have my life all together, okay? So... Hear me say that. And then also, I know some of you might be sitting here and already like shame is creeping up because of decisions you have made. And I, I want to pray in a second just for freedom from that um, and just know that there is no condemnation in this place. And some of you are maybe sitting here and like, uh, this isn't something I struggle with. I'm not in a relationship. This doesn't relate to me. I don't think I'm ever going to have issues with um, boundaries, and that was also me at one point. Um, And then in my first serious relationship, um, all sorts of boundaries were crossed. And so you're you're not immune um, to be able to fight against sexual sin. The enemy is gonna want to tempt you in a lot of different ways. And so I think this conversation is really important for all of us to have tonight, no matter what place you find yourself in. So I wanna just pray for us one more time, um, just because I know this can be a really heavy and challenging and confusing conversation. Um, So pray with me. God, uh, we just take a deep breath. Um, Everybody just breathe in and then breathe out, and just, God, we ask you to be in this space, Holy Spirit, where we are already feeling shame creep up, and we feel the lies that we are unworthy or we are broken, um, that you would just let tonight be a night that breeds freedom, Um, that you would just be with us, and that we know that You love us no matter what choices we have made. Um, No matter what choices we made years ago, no matter what choices we made last night, you love us and you want us to run back to you. And God, um, for those of us in the room that have not struggled with um, crossing boundaries or sexual sin or temptation, we thank you for that, but we know that um, we're not exempt from the enemy finding new ways to tempt us. And so I just pray that we would all be attentive to whatever you have for us tonight. Um, we, we invite you, Holy Spirit, into this place. Speak through me. Let these be your words and not mine. And we love you in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, I want to start our conversation tonight talking about marriage because I think it's really important that we have a healthy view of marriage before, and the bigger picture before we talk about dating. Um, So, I want to go to Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. If you were with us last semester, we spent a lot of, all our semester in Genesis, so this should sound a little familiar, but Genesis is super important, so we will turn back there often. So Genesis 2, starting in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then it, Adam looks at all the different animals, and he's like, Oh, none of these, none of these are going to work. 
So skipping down to verse 22, it says, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So, very beginning of scripture, chapter two of the entire Bible, we see that God said it was not good for man to be alone. So what did God do? He created a woman so that they could join together in this covenant relationship we call marriage. So marriage is created by God and God created it to be very good. In Ephesians 5 verse 25, it says, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this isn't the only place in scripture, but this is one of the really good ones that um, the Bible and Paul specifically here uses the relationship of husband and wife to reflect the relationship of the church and Christ. So there's this covenant relationship between Christ and the church. And we know that Christ laid his life down on the cross for the church and to be in relationship with her. And marriage gets to be a reflection of that. Christian marriage is, again, this covenant faithfulness and sacrificial love. That's what Christian marriage is. And it's a reflection of the covenant faithfulness that Jesus has with the church and the sacrificial love that he poured out for us. So marriage is obviously very important to God if he used that um, to show us his relationship with us. It's a really cool opportunity. But I also wanna take a moment here just to acknowledge that marriage is not the end-all be-all. I think a lot of the time, especially in the church, we think that marriage is what we have to do to be a faithful follower of Jesus, and that's not true. We know that Paul and many other really important Christians in the Bible um, had really successful faith lives. That's a really weird way to say it, but they, they served God faithfully and honored the kingdom well, and they were never married, and so marriage is not the end-all be-all. It's not for everybody, um, and you can still be a faithful follower of Christ and still have a flourishing life. Um, So I just wanted to say that and make that very clear. And I know for me, I idolized marriage in a lot of ways. That was my number one goal in life in a lot of ways. And um, that's just not a helpful mindset to have. And we could preach a whole nother sermon on that. And we're not going to talk about all that tonight, but I just want to put that out there. Okay. So then back to Genesis 2, he says, um, they shall become one flesh. So what this is, means here is that they came together and had sex, and they became one. So sex is the physical um, union of a man and a woman in, in marriage. And so God designed sex. I think we often 
think sometimes fall into the fact that we think the world created sex, and we think of sex as a very secular thing, but actually, we see here, God created sex, and he created it good. He created it to be a very good thing within marriage. Um, And again, sex is meant to be an act of covenant faithfulness and sacrificial love. 1 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5 says this, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband also does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, so what this is saying here is that our bodies, when we enter into a covenant relationship in marriage, are no longer our own. Our bodies are to serve our spouse. Um, and this was actually a really countercultural thing that Paul is saying right here because, yes, it was normal for the woman's body to be her husband's, but it was not normal for the husband's body to also be the wife's because the wife's body then were seen as property. Um, but Paul is saying here that, no, marriage, Christian marriage, is an act of sacrificial love, and the physical coming together and having sex is an act of sacrificial love and a way to serve each other within marriage. So that's how God created, what God created sex for, and sex is intended to bond you with someone. Um, There's actually chemicals that are released in our brain, and that chemical is called oxytocin, um, and which is known as the love chemical. That's what they refer to it as. So when we have sex, a higher level of oxytocin, or a really high level of oxytocin is released, and this chemical actually bonds us to the person that we're having sex with. And the crazy thing that I learned while I was doing some research this week is that the only other two times that that same level of oxytocin is produced is when a woman is having childbirth and when she's breastfeeding. So those two activities that these high levels of oxytocin are being produced in the human brain are all activities that are supposed to bond us to another human. Isn't that interesting? Like God literally wired things to go on in our brain that allow us to be bonded to someone in these activities. So God is really creative here. Um, And also, there's a whole book of the Bible that talks about sex. I think we forget about this. The Song of Songs is this intimate love poem about intimacy. Y'all can go read it later. Uh, Grace and I were laughing about how weird some of the stuff in there is. I mean, I wouldn't use any of the pickup lines in there. I don't think that they'll go over well. Like if Aaron told me my neck was a tower, that, that would not work for me. So, um, but it, there's, some, there's some heated stuff in there. Um, so it's important. God created sex. God is for sex. 
Some of us, that's really, really hard to believe. That's really, really hard to wrap our minds around, right? That God is for sex. Or else he wouldn't have created it. He wouldn't have created it, and he wouldn't have created it to be this amazing thing within marriage, this amazing opportunity to bond each other and to become one flesh. But he is for sex in the way he created it, and that is between a husband and a wife. So God is for sex, but he is for sex in the way he created it, and that's between a husband and a wife. So the last thing about marriage, the act of becoming one and practicing intimacy is for marriage. Um, That means physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy. Those are all things that we are striving for to have a flourishing, healthy marriage. So I made this cute little graph up here. I'm really proud of it. Um, So we want to have a flourishing, we want all those bars to be raised once we get married. We want to have flourishing intimacy emotionally, physically, and spiritually. You can go to the next graph. Um, But if we think that the physical intimacy is the most important part of our relationship and our marriage, it's not going to be a flourishing marriage. Sex is awesome, it's good, but it is not going to carry your marriage. There's a lot of really other important things to create a healthy relational intimacy within your marriage. Um, So there's this awesome quote by JP. I told you all about this book last week. Get it? It's really, really helpful. It's a kind of a long quote, but I think it's important to read. Um, So he says, Based on the estimates for how often married people have sex and how long those encounters probably last, the average married couple spends somewhere around 0.625% of their time having sex, which means you spend 99.375% of your time together in marriage doing other things. Maybe you think you'll be above average in terms of how often you have sex. Maybe you even double the average. Great, good for you but that still means you only have sex a whopping 1.25% of the time. As far as tiny percentages go, it's an important, it's an important 0.625% of the time, or 1.25% for you overachievers of your future marriage, but it's not the focus of marriage, just like it shouldn't be the focus of your life. If you want a good marriage, you'd better work on preparing for the other 99% instead. And one way to do that is to not make your dating relationship about sex. You'll have a lifetime to figure out that 1% together, but only if your relationship has a solid foundation that is not based on sex. That's good, right? It's crazy. So only a small percentage of your future marriage will be spent having sex, but why in dating are we just so focused on this one thing? I know, I've been there, like, it consumes a lot of our attention in our dating relationships, right? And sex is so important in a marriage. It's important to be um, having sex and, and bonding together with your spouse in that way, 
But what if we stopped focusing on sex so much while we were dating and prepared for the rest of our relationship? I think JP said it so well at the end there. Um, You'll have a lifetime to figure out that percent together, but only if your relationship has a solid foundation that is not based on sex. So in a dating relationship, right, and we talked about this last week, dating relationships should be heading towards marriage. As soon as you don't see a relationship heading towards marriage, you probably shouldn't be in it anymore. So if you're dating someone, you're trying to get to know them. You're trying to build a relationship with them. Um, You're not trying to build intimacy with them yet. That's that's for marriage. Um, You're trying to get to know them and work on these things to prepare for a healthy relationship, okay? Um, so maybe you're like, this is all great, Sydney. This, this all seems important, but why are we talking about marriage so much? I thought we were gonna talk about boundaries. And I just wanna reiterate, it is so important for us to have a healthy view of where we're headed um, for us to really appreciate the boundaries. Because if we don't have vision for where we're headed, if we don't have a healthy view of marriage and what sex is designed to be in marriage, then the boundaries aren't gonna really matter to us. You might wanna put them in place because you know it's the right thing to do. You've been told that you should have these boundaries, that you shouldn't go too far, blah, blah, blah. But if you don't understand the why behind it, if you don't understand how God created sex to be, then the boundaries are gonna be meaningless to you and it's gonna be really, really hard to stick to them if you're not fully bought in with your heart because you believe what God declares is good about sex is what you should also believe is good about sex. Does that make sense? So next I wanna talk briefly about um, what culture says about sex and I think we can all agree that we live in a very sexualized Um, culture, where TV shows and movies and social media is like sex, 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 just putting it all in front of us, have as much sex as you want with whoever you want, um, do whatever makes you feel good, like that is what the world tells us. We can all agree on that. That's, That's that. But what the church tells us about sex outside of marriage has kind of changed over time. So the culture that I grew up in, um, It's called the purity culture movement. A lot of you might be familiar with that, um, and you might have experienced some of that too growing up, depending on what your your church background is. Um, But the purity culture movement had a good heart behind it, but they focused, what they messed up is they focused purely on the bad parts of sex. That sex is bad, don't do it, don't have sex, sex is bad, and they didn't focus on the good parts. They didn't acknowledge that God, God is the one who created sex and sex is good within marriage. God created sex to be good. Um, and so what this purity culture movement did is it produced a lot of shame, produced a lot of secrecy for people who um, made vows when they were younger to not have sex until they were married and then they messed up and then they felt like they couldn't tell anyone about it and they were so broken and messed up because um, the church had told them that they had um, to 
to abide by this purity culture and that they were going to be so broken if they didn't wait to have sex with their husband or wife. And so this bred a lot of secrecy and shame. And then another thing that it did for the people who maybe did wait to have sex until they were married is that as soon as they said those vows after their wedding night, they couldn't just make that switch in their brain that sex is bad, sex is bad, and then all of a sudden it's good and it's okay and you're supposed to be doing it. Like our brains can't just make that shift that easy. So it was, it's, has been harmful for a lot of marriages. Okay, so then on the flip side, the church has tried to overcorrect um, I'm, just, I'm saying the church very general. Like, there are so many different viewpoints. I'm just, I'm trying to say that there's, there's a lot of different perspectives on this. So the church in some places um, has tried to overcorrect, and they have moved to what is called consent culture. And what this is, is you can have sex with whoever you want to, casual sex, as long as both people are consenting, Okay. 50%, a recent study came out lately that 50% of young Christians abide by consent culture. 50% of Christians abide by casual sex is okay as long as both people are consenting. Okay, so we're getting all these different messages, right, from the world, from the church. Like, what are we supposed to believe? It's so confusing. Um, Austin, some of you, uh, very few of you were at the table last week because most of you were at Revival, which is great. Um, But I would really, really encourage you to go listen to his message because he talked about how we have to hold the tension between purity culture and consent culture. Um, He did a really, really good job unpacking that. So go listen to that because I don't have time to fully unpack it all. But... um, we have to figure out how to have a healthy tension of both of these because we see that both can be really harmful. Um, Neither are honoring to God's creation of sex. And so I want to spend some time talking at our tables. Our first question is, what is your view of sex and what has shaped that view? So how have you thought about sex Um, And what has been the voices that are shaping that view in your life? Um, So, ready, break. All right. Um, If y'all have more to talk about, we'll have another discussion time in a second so you can continue on your conversation. Um, We're not going to talk about that as a big group, um, just because I feel like it's important to keep it at your table. And I hope that just starting this conversation about something we probably don't spend a lot of time talking about is helpful to hear other people's perspectives and know we all come from really different backgrounds with this topic. Um, And it's confusing for all of us. Um, So next we're gonna move more into the practical part. And I first wanna say that forming a healthy view of sex starts now. This is the mindset that we need to have. Uh, A lot of times I think that we can fall into believing that I'll have a healthy view of sex later once I get married, but now, right now, I can just do whatever I want. Um, So with that, let's turn, oh wait, no, I'm jumping ahead. 
Um, sex, the act of going all the way in sex, um, porn, masturbation, uh, any kind of messing around. I mean, anything with the word sex in it, um, I think counts as sex, okay? So any of those things right now are helping shape our view or hurting shaping our view of sex. Um, Pretty much everything I just talked about outside of marriage is influenced by our own selfish desires, okay? If you think about it and spend some time processing that, you'll realize that most of our sexual acts right now outside of marriage are inspired by our own um, selfish desires. And remember we said that sex is designed to bond you to your spouse to be in a covenant and to be selfless. It's a way to serve in love one another. And so if you're wiring your brain right now to think that sex is to serve you and to do what feels good for you in the moment, that's gonna be really hard to untangle once you get in marriage and realize that it is a way to serve and love each other. Okay, so the way we're starting to think of sex matters now. Um, You can tell uh, when a person in a relationship is being selfish pretty easily when you set boundaries in a relationship. And if someone is pushing those boundaries that you've set, or if you've been the person that is pushing the boundaries that your significant other has set in a relationship, y'all realize how selfish that is? Because someone's literally told you um, that they are setting this boundary and then you're pushing it because you want to go further. Okay, that's, that's a red flag right there. Um, we've all been there though. Like, it is good to have sexual desires for the person that you're in a relationship with. We are designed to want to have sex. God created it, remember, it's good. Um, but, lost my train of thought. Um, where is I going with that? Yeah, so it is, it is what we're to called to do to bond ourselves with our spouse. And so if we are doing what feels good in the moment, it's, it becomes about us. Um, it's also, this can be a red flag pushing someone's boundaries because if you have set boundaries and it's not the other person's boundaries as well. Remember last week we talked about being equally yoked and being on the same page, and this is a really important thing to be on the same page about. Um, You should be able to have a conversation about your boundaries and come to a conclusion together. It should not be one person pulling all the weight on their own when it comes to boundaries. Uh, That's not, it's not gonna end well. Um, So, three things I want us to think about when setting boundaries is, one, set them together. Have the conversation together. If someone is not willing to have that conversation with you, you probably shouldn't be in a relationship with them. Two, tell other people about your boundaries. 
Your boundaries shouldn't just be a secret between you and your significant other. Remember, we need to have community in our lives. We need people to know what our boundaries are so they can hold us accountable. And also show us grace when we mess up. And then three, the goal is not to see how close you can get to the line. I think that's one of our favorite questions when it comes to this topic, right, is how far is too far? How far is too far? And that is not the goal when it comes to boundaries. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20 together. I know some of y'all are taking notes. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, it says, all things are permitted. This will also sound familiar if you were at the table last week. This is what Austin talked about. Again, go listen to it because he talks more about this and it's really helpful. But all things are permitted for me, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, so this right here is not in quotes, but in your Bible you'll see that this is in quotes because this is what the Corinthians are saying. Paul here is quoting quoting what the Corinthians are saying. This is what they believe, okay? Um, And then food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. This is again what they believe. However, God will do away with both of them, but the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. So now this is Paul saying, the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are a part of Christ? Shall I then take away the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Far from it. Or do you know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. Remember that's quoting Genesis that we read a little bit ago. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that, is, that you are not your own? For you have been bought for a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So a lot of time, I think we think that the Bible doesn't have anything applicable to me when it comes to this conversation about boundaries and what to do with our bodies when it comes to dating. A lot of times we think that the Bible and then what they were going through in that time doesn't relate to us. But prostitution, casual sex was very, very normal in that culture. Okay, that was very normal and very accepted, much like today. But Paul is saying as believers, because we are united with Christ, we have to see our bodies in a different light because our bodies are one with Christ. So we have a different responsibility with our body because we are one with Christ and Christ has bought our bodies with a price and therefore they are not our own so we are called to honor God with our body. Okay, so we have to think differently than the things that the world is feeding us that is okay and normal about sex because we are united with Christ. And what does it say... um, 
It says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee, okay? So when we're talking about this conversation of boundaries, and we're trying to see, okay, how far can we set the boundary? How far can we push it to not go too far? But what is scripture very clear about? Sexual immorality, we're supposed to flee from it. So flee from it doesn't mean we're supposed to get as close to the line as we can. It means that we run in the opposite direction, right? So that's pretty clear. I don't think I need to explain that anymore to you. I want that, think about that, marinate on that. Another thing I want to to make clear here is that the way we view sex, um, the way we want to think about sex moving forward can start today. We need to start today. If you've messed up in your past or you're currently um, in a relationship that is pushing the boundaries too far, the Lord can completely redeem you from that. In fact, he wants to completely redeem you from that. We're called to confess our sins, and then the Lord wants to forgive us and wants to wash our sins away. He will make us pure again, and by dying on the cross, he washed our, sin, our sins right as snow, Right? But JP also has another a really good quote. Not but, however, adding to it. Um, however, along with confession and forgiveness, um, also real quick, confession is um, just acknowledging your sin to the Lord, just saying it to the Lord in your head or out loud if you need to say it out loud. But also, you can take that a step further and confess to your community, to confess to your people and your inner circle. And for me, with my struggles with sexual sin, um, I really needed to bring my community in with that. And I needed to confess it to them and bring it to the light so that they can help me battle that together. So I didn't have to battle that alone because our community gets to be the tangible grace and forgiveness of God, okay? To hear someone say, hey, Sydney, hey, Abby, you're forgiven. And God wants to wash all that away is really powerful. Okay, so back to the quote. However, along with confession and forgiveness should come repentance. Repentance means you sincerely acknowledge that what you did was wrong and you therefore seek to change your ways and do not do that thing again. It's possible to still fail at times because we're sinners, but repentance means it's your sincere desire to not fail in that way again. So I think this word sincere is really important because sometimes we can say, hey God, I know I messed up. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't have done that, but I'm just going to move on. And then I make the same mistake again because my heart wasn't sincerely repentant and feeling the weight of that sin. So repentance, having a, a heart of repentance is really important that we feel the weight and we sincerely want to move out of that and you might mess up again. And there is grace. God's mercy is new every morning, but we should not want or be okay with making the same mistake over and over and over again. And I believe that being sincere in your desire to move away from that sin sometimes means making some pretty radical choices in your life. Sometimes that means you gotta put up some pretty big boundaries, right? Like if you can't, 
control yourself past midnight with your person, don't be together past midnight. Like, don't even just put yourself in a situation that could cause you to be tempted, okay? Or you can't be in your room, your bedroom by yourself, then just don't go to your room. Don't put yourself in a situation to get there again. And I know it's hard. And the enemy is going to try and convince you in whatever way he can to get you back off track. But the Lord wants us to be repentant, and he wants to give us strength to fight temptation. And he wants to give us people in our lives who can help us fight that as well. So I'm not tonight going to give you these five steps to having perfect boundaries because every relationship looks different and I can't tell you what your boundaries are supposed to be, but I can confidently tell you that your boundaries should be fleeing from sexual immorality. Um, Also, a really, really cool thing that um, I didn't get for a long time But once Aaron and I started dating and as we began to pursue marriage, I realized that setting up boundaries in our relationship was a way to serve and to love each other well. And the fact that we, um, like we messed up sometimes, we went too far and we would have to have a conversation again and say, hey, we need to set these boundaries and we need to bring people in on this. Um, But the fact that we were both fighting hard to respect those boundaries that we had set together shows how much I love him. And the, the times when I felt weak and wanted to give in to my flesh, um, I had to practice denying myself because I loved him so much that I wanted to sacrifice that. And that builds trust in a relationship. That builds trust that we got to bring over into our marriage. And I know that Aaron is going to fight for me in a lot of different ways because he fought hard in that way. Uh, Does that make sense? I don't think we think about it in that way a lot. Um, Also, when we can put ourselves in a posture to receive sex as the gift that it's supposed to be in marriage, um, we remove the filters of shame and condemnation and guilt and comparison that can enter into marriage with us if we aren't fighting to have a healthy view of of sex and marriage before we enter into a relationship. Because again, when you get married on your wedding night, if you have um, a, a flawed view of what sex is, you can't just switch that right overnight, okay? That's gonna take time to unwind, so it's really important that you start to think about it now. Um, We're running out of time, but at your tables, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about how does this reframe your view of boundaries, and what do you think are some helpful boundaries that you want to put in place if you're in a relationship right now, or that could be helpful to a relationship for you in the future? Go ahead and talk about it. Okay, so we're running out of time. Um, Hopefully y'all can keep talking about this. And this has been like a really normal and helpful conversation, right? It wasn't that bad, was it? Was it that bad? Thanks, thanks guys. Um, So 
Yeah, I, I want you guys to know that the church should be the place where we are having these conversations. Um, I think a lot of the time we feel shame and feel like the church is the last place we should be having these conversations, but it is in this place we should be talking about the hard stuff. And I hope you know that I want to be here for you and support you um, and answer any I don't, I probably won't have all the answers, but answer any questions you have or help you sort through a situation. Um, Aaron also wants to as well. He's motioning to me. Uh, I thought it might be cool. I don't know. Maybe next week Aaron's out of lab and we could camp out here for, from like nine to noon or something and just be here in the commons. And if anyone wants to come talk to us about anything, we'll be here open to talk. You down? Okay, because uh, I know this, this is just the start of a conversation, um, and it's hard. It's hard. I hope I've made some, brought some clarity, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be easy, or that doesn't mean that it is going to be easy. It's, going, it's not going to be hard. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm getting tired. I've been here since 7.30 this morning, guys. Um, so yeah, this is a really important conversation. Um, The last thing that I just wanted to leave us with to think about is in light of the conversation we've just had, are we going to define what is good on our own terms? Are we going to embrace what God says is good? So I want to leave you with that and think about it. Are we going to define what is good on our own terms? Because ultimately, that is what sin is. It's choosing to define things that are good on our own terms. Or are we going to embrace what God says is good? And I can promise you what God declares as good is far better than anything we can ever think of on our own. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for a place that we can have hard conversations and that we can just experience your, your grace and freedom and also acknowledge what a gift um, sex and marriage is. And I pray that this would only be the start of a conversation, uh, that we would be willing to put in the hard work to honor you and honor your design for sex. Um, God, I pray that we would have the courage to confess uh, where we need to confess. And we would have just the strength and trust in you to accept forgiveness where we need to accept forgiveness. And know that you dying on the cross is enough to cover everything that we've ever done or will ever do. And we are so thankful for that sacrifice that you made for us. And we love you and it's in your name, amen.